Let's cut through the mainstream financial advice out there. This is your quick financial tip from your rich uncle. What are some of the mistakes that people end up making? I see like these series LLCs, these land trusts. There's a bunch of like plethora of different options out there. Maybe you can talk to why sometimes that doesn't, those things don't make sense. Because where you're using it, it has to be recognized or it has to provide some benefit. If you set up a series LLC, for instance, and you create a bunch of cells associated with the series LLC, and then you want to own real estate in Hawaii through these independent cells of a Delaware series, that ain't happening. You could do it, but at the end of the day, if you got sued, you're not going to have the protection that structure would provide you if you're making that same investment in Texas that actually recognizes the series LLC. So you see people try to use structures that aren't appropriate for the state where the asset's located. They think, oh, I'm gonna save a couple bucks by going with the series LLC. I hate to tell you that it's not gonna work there. Land trust, I use land trust for my investing, but I'm not one of those that I'm gonna tell you, you need to use a land trust in every situation because the problem you run into, it complicates your life. So I like to keep things simple. I've seen multi-tiered structures before that the benefit doesn't outweigh the costs. And when I say costs, I'm not talking about monetary costs. I'm talking about time, right? For you to have to get wrap your mind around all this and operate it. That's equally important in any type of structure you're creating. And then the other mistake that I see people make is not understanding the tax side. So there are things that we can do when the way we're setting up our entities to ensure that we're always going to look better to lenders so we can fund more deals or if we want to sell the property. So I'll give you two, two concrete examples here. One individual comes to me, found me on the internet on YouTube, said, hey, Clint, I want to book a strategy session with you. We get it all set up. His problem was he had a multifamily trying to sell it. Two buyers keep fell out of financing. He had it in a limited liability company set up by a CPA. So the CPA got the structure right. He just didn't understand what tax election to make, which is the CPA. You'd think he'd know this. He chose to treat that LLC as a disregarded entity. Now, the benefit to the client is he didn't have to file a tax return with the disregarded LLC, but the CPA didn't know the right questions to ask, which would have been, hey, what do you plan to do with this property? Is this going to be a rehab stabilization and sell? Because if that's the case, this LLC needs to file a tax return and we're going to set it up as a partnership or maybe an S-corp. That would kind of be my secondary option. So that when we go to sell the property, the underwriters who are financing the deal for your buyers, they're going to get a tax return to verify the income and expenses and CapEx and all that with the property. Because absent that, it's going to be tough because they're always going to ask for tax returns. And he didn't understand that. And so as a result, they kept falling out under financing. And so there wasn't a clean cut solution for him. He had a third buyer in the same process. They kept asking for tax returns for the LLC. People say, well, just give me your 1040. It doesn't work that way because underwriters, they got these little checkbox they have to go through in order to underwrite a loan. Otherwise it isn't going to comport with the lender's requirements. And so they want to make sure that they're hitting all these boxes. And the same thing with the private investor that owns multi or owns residential real estate. I'll explain to them, hey, you can set it up where you own it personally or you own it through a disregarded LLC so you don't have to file a tax return, federal return. But 
what is that doing to you rather than what is it doing for you? And if you don't know what that is, then you're missing out on a big part of real estate investing. So what I'll tell my clientele, what I like the way I like to structure it, that Wyoming Holding LLC, all of it treated as a partnership for federal tax purposes. And the reason why I do that is because it hits your income will hit your 1040 on a different line than if you own the real estate in your own name. And so where it hits your 1040 makes you actually look better to lenders so you can get more deals done because your debt to income ratio doesn't go out of whack. Because this is what can happen. If you own it in your own name, it screws up your debt to income ratio because they hold back income. You can make a hundred grand on your real estate and rental income. They'll say, no, we're only gonna give you credit for 70,000 of that. You're like, what the hell? There's a hundred grand, you can see it. Yeah, but we're forced to hold back. Whereas if you structured it slightly different, same income, same taxes to you, but where it hits your tax return, they give you 100% of that. And then you take that and you look at the audit risk and now you just reduce your risk of audit as well. So if you're gonna engage in cost segregation to massively depreciate your property, to throw off huge tax breaks to yourself, I prefer to do that through a partnership K-1 then on a 1040 Schedule E page one so that I'm taken out of the audit risk pool. And so there's different layers and I call that the business planning side of investing where a lot of attorneys, if they're not investors, then they're not gonna see that, that side of it because they haven't been down there and making the mistakes that I made these mistakes. And so it took me a few years to learn this stuff just from my own investing and thankfully, because we work with so many clients all across the country, I would find myself talking to experienced investors like yourself, and you're asking me for asset protection, and I'm asking you questions, yeah, to help you plan, but also to ferret out, hey, what is he doing that's helping him achieve his goals so much faster than I am? And you start putting all this stuff together, and it's really helped out our clients a lot in their investing. And I think like for our group, this is the simple passive cash flow is when your net worth grows, you eventually get out of these little rental properties, and not only for the legal headaches, as we talked before, like why do you, even maybe I should take myself out because I still sign on the debt personally, but for most of our clients, why do you even need to show income to qualify for a loan? Unless you're going to buy a primary as residence, but then that's another problem I haven't figured out personally. When you start to buy two, three, four, five million dollar properties, you can't get a loan for bigger than a million dollars. But if you're buying a regular house, like for most of you guys out there, but you're not gonna be doing deals. You're not doing buying a duplex, triplex. You're just getting out of that world. And that's where you don't really need to think about these things as you start to gravitate more as a professional investor, as opposed to deal maker or the bigger pockets world, groupie guy, those kinds of types of folks. Let's say that I'm in four of your deals. That's four K1s then that come down to my tax return. So if I held it through one entity treated as a partnership, now I only have one K-1 that comes down to my tax return rather than four. So how does that benefit? The benefit comes in the complexity of your return and that should you go to qualify for a new personal residence and you want to use qualified mortgages, you're not working in the non-QM world, then when they look at your 1040, whoever you have to turn your 1040 over to, less is going to be better. The more you have, the more scrutiny it draws and you take yourself out of potential situations that you could have ordinarily qualified for if you just didn't have your tax return structured in a certain manner. And so when I look at planning, how your 1040 looks 
is just important to me is how your asset protection side is going to, going to play out. I think all you guys just should go work with Anderson and then go to the tax page. Cause I'm just, as the syndicator and sponsor, I'm just tired of working with some of your guys, CPAs that ask like, they need to file this or the mortgage brokers. They ask for all these little K ones and dude, it doesn't even matter. It's not like they have debt recourse to this loan. They're just a passive investor along with a hundred other investors. Like if you guys, if the bureaucratic guy actually knew what a K-1 was part of a partnership, they wouldn't be asking these questions, but they're just following a checklist. And I don't know, that's my little rant against all these little doc or these requests that these mortgage brokers or underwriters ask for at the end of the day. Yeah, it's frustrating because it just can screw up your deal for sure. Oh, and it's time consuming for you to have to deal with all those little requests that come in. Before we move off of the legal side and talk a little bit about some of these questions, these typical questions that I get on the K-1 and taxes side, you mentioned like the kid going out and getting drunk and, you know, incurring liability for the family. We This specific question has come up many times in our family office group. The kids are becoming teenagers. Do you buy the car in their name? Do you put the, the loan in their name? What's the best practice for that? Especially when mom and dad are worth four or $5 million net worth and little juniors out there doing who knows what. That always comes down to what is the cost of insurance and how much you're willing to pay. Ideally, if the child, when you say child, what, over 18 or? Uh, under 18, so 16 year, or even going up to college, I guess. I, guess, I don't know if it matters. It really doesn't matter so much. If they're going off to college, like the example I gave you, that vehicle is still in the parent's name. So that brought the liability back home. But they can also say that you're still supporting that child. And therefore, you're responsible for them. They could try to rope you in that way because you have the deepest pockets. So what I would recommend, if you have someone who's over the 18 or over, under 18, I don't think you can get out of it. But over 18, make sure they're the registered owner of the car. Okay, that legal owner's aren't necessarily liable. It is the registered owner. And you know this because when you finance a car, the legal owner is always the bank. And you can't sue the bank because you go out and pull a DWI and you hit somebody else's car and destroy it. You sue the driver and the registered owner. So that's one way to, to minimize your risk exposure to the kids that are going off to college. Second thing is to show that they support themselves. You structure in such a way that maybe they're earning income or they have their own investment stream coming in. So you, you bring them into one of your LLCs and you give them five or 10% interest in that. And that gives them enough money to cover their expenses. And some people say, well, heck, if I give them a 10% interest and they're making 80 grand a year, how do I know they're not going to blow it on parties and girls and things like that? Because if they are, you're in control. You just turn it off is what you would do. And so that's what I tell people. You always want to make sure you're in control of, of what you're doing. Yeah. So have them put the loan in their name too, or that doesn't matter. The loan in their name, you could do that. The benefit of doing the loan in their name is that now they're going to build business credit. I'm not business credit. They're going to help build their credit. You may have to co-sign on the loan, but if they're on the loan as well, now they're starting to create that credit profile. So that's advantageous for sure to do that. What about insurance policy? Does, or does that does not matter, I guess. It doesn't matter so much, but what's going to happen, it's going to be more expensive for them than if yeah. they're insured under your policy. I guess at what net worth would you say would it make sense to bring an irrevocable trust to take care of some of these issues and where they don't, nobody owns the car? It doesn't matter about the owner. It's a registered 
owner that it comes down to it. So you could have the legal owner is the trust, but the registered owner is going to be your child. Or maybe you make the trust also the legal and the registered owner, but the child's driving it. Then the liability flows back to that trust um, and whatever assets it would hold and the child gets sued. I could see you doing that. And if that's the only asset it holds is the car. The problem with that strategy is that someone's going to look at it and say, what is the purpose of the trust? And you're going to say to hold a car and for asset protection. And then you could run into problems where they don't respect the trust because it was set up strictly for asset protection purposes. And they might look through it. You could try it. I'm not opposed to doing it because I think more roadblocks you put in place, the better off you are. You could just tie an attorney up. Oh, that car, oh, it's owned by an irrevocable trust. Oh, that's owned by a limited liability company over there. Oh, there's a corporation over there. No, we don't have the insurance. That's in the kid's name. And all of a sudden they're just chasing down all these different paths. To me, that damn car is really the biggest point of contention. If you're thinking about how to not lose your money as far as Here's what you do. You give your kid a bicycle, okay? And you solve the problem. Or number two, you make sure that all your assets are protected. So even if they do sue you, what are they going to get? Lane is not a lawyer, CPA, but the dude did quit his engineering job and now owns thousands of rental properties. Learn more about the secrets of the wealthy. Join our community at thewealthelevator.com slash club. And if you're looking for a longer form podcast, also subscribe to the Wealth Elevator podcast.